All right, spiritual jurisprudence, lesson number five. We call this one antinomianism and lawlessness. Antinomianism is a big fancy word. We'll, we'll look at that here in a minute. And lawlessness. This is, a, this is critical because in teaching on the law and jurisprudence, which is a theory of law, we have to, of course, see the flip side of that, which is the spirit that we're dealing with in the earth, which is lawlessness. So many Christians operate in this and don't even have a clue. Our whole culture, the American culture, is defined by lawlessness. Social media grows like a weed on the spirit of lawlessness. And my endeavor is by the end of this lesson, you can see that attitude or that spirit and resist it. We have nothing if we don't have the law of God. The law of God is what maintains the cosmos. It's what maintains the creation. It, he, he commanded like to be, and it maintains itself. Uh, uh, cosmologists, not cosmetologists, those are the folks that make you look pretty. Cosmologists and astronomers, they tell us the, the galaxies are still expanding, which means the light is still traveling because God said, let there be light, and he never told it to stop. That's a law. You start getting into lawlessness, you start trying to break down everything God has established. So we're going to look at the heart behind this this morning so that we can make sure we are not lawless individuals. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 in the New American Standard says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. That was 2,000 years ago Paul wrote that. That should terrify us. I like that translation. The secret power of lawlessness, which means there is a power behind lawlessness. Everybody loves it. Because you don't have to do what anybody tells you to do. This is what you discipline out of your children. You, when you're raising children, you're instructing them to obey mommy and daddy and to keep the laws of the land, to obey the laws of the house. The number one thing you're to do as a parent is to teach your children to submit their will to the will of another. That's the whole heart behind parenting. You're teaching your children to submit their will to the will of another. It begins when they're about six months old and they spit peas at you. That's when you begin to instruct them in the law of God in that mommy and daddy knows what's best. You're going to eat those peas. And you pop them on the hand, which is not child abuse. It's called discipline. That is not going to traumatize a six-month-old. Uh, some Christians never have seen the paddle, and that might be why they're halfway headed to hell. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. That's the Antichrist. Now think about this. We have the Antichrist coming, but his spirit is already working in the earth today, and many Christians are yielding to that demon. The secret power of lawlessness is already at work, and one day the lawless one will come full-blown on the scene. Whom the Lord will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So the main fruit of last day's humanity is lawlessness. We have nine fruit of the spirit, we have works of the flesh, but there's a fruit of the demon spirit called Antichrist, and that fruit is lawlessness. Now, again, we haven't defined lawlessness yet, but we will here in a minute. But this is the spirit or attitude or disposition of Antichrist. Now, we've spent four weeks teaching on the law of God. We proved very heavily last week that we're not free from laws, that there's over a thousand and well, there's a thousand and fifty New Testament commandments. Eight hundred of them are unique because there's 250 of them that are repeated. So we're still under 800 New Testament laws. The Old Testament only had 613 laws. So we're not free from laws. Furthermore, we talked about the laws of creation, the laws of civic government, the laws of, of building codes. Right now you're under a lot of law because we have to have a sprinkler system in here. The carpet you have has regulations that it has to meet. 
based on the EPA. Everything in here, the wallboard is regulated by laws. Even my microphone right now is FCC compliant and is regulated by the federal government. Think about all this. And yet we have an attitude even in the church that says, I can do what I want. That's the spirit of Antichrist. You can't tell me what to do. Who are you to be over me? Now you sound like Sodom and Gomorrah. Who has made you a judge over us, Lot? That is the American church. That's Facebook. Amen. Lawlessness is the whimsical picking and choosing of which laws a person will and won't abide by. Lawlessness isn't a total disregard for all law. It's just you picking and choosing the ones you want to and the ones you don't. It's like we treat the law of God as a buffet. I'll have some of this. Don't want any of that because it's not my favorite color. I'll have some of this because I like the way it tastes. I don't like that because I don't do shellfish. The law of God is not a buffet where you pick and choose. The law of God is there and you abide by it and you're blessed. Lawlessness produces rampant sin manifesting in countless ways. Humanity is spiraling out of control with mankind doing as they please, when they please, with or to whom they please. Now, we pointed out in one of the early lessons that the reason our federal lawmakers and state lawmakers are constantly making new laws, our representatives, the, you know, the word representative and lawmaker is synonymous. We have congressmen. Those are called our representatives, but they're also called lawmakers because what's their job? They vote on and pass legislation which legislates new laws. Why are they always making new laws every session in Congress? Because Americans find new ways to violate the Ten Commandments. And most of our new legislation is filling in gaps and smaller sections that people used to not bother to drive their life through, but some idiot found a way to cheat, lie, scam, connive, or kill, and lawmakers said, we got to plug that hole. So they passed another legislation. Humanity is spiraling out of control because of lawlessness. And the more humanity comes to this crescendo, this climax of judgment, the more we're going to have to stick with the law of God. There is a law to lawlessness, and that law is do as you please. Now, I've taught that in this church for several years now. That is the law to lawlessness. Just do what seems right to you. Ironically, do as you will is the first satanic principle in the satanic Bible. This is the primary fruit of the spirit of Antichrist. I don't have time to go into it, but I think this church watched the, um, uh, the, the conference I was a part of in Iowa where I taught on the Hegelian dialectic. And the overall big picture of the spirit of lawlessness is trying to march the world towards a global one world government. And the psychological and the human, uh, humanist philosophy that I walked through in that series of teachings was that if you don't allow children to do what, you, what they want, you can't have a one world government. Now that's a very simplified version of it, but when you discipline children, you prevent world government, a one world government. Because when you, when you discipline children, you put into them a guilt conscience. When you don't allow children to do as they want, you put in them a guilt conscience when they feel, they feel guilty for doing what you told them not to do, which is what we're supposed to do. And if you put into a child a guilt conscience, they'll defend the convictions of their parents. If they defend the convictions of the parents, they'll espouse them on the playground. They'll convict others. They will begin to segregate the playground between those that obey mommy and daddy's rules and those that don't. It'll produce a prejudice, which in this case is a good prejudice because it's a prejudice against sin. And that produces factions and, 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 and division. And if we're divided as a people because we have children that are disciplined and children that are not, we'll never 
never have a one world government. The spirit of Antichrist says, do as you want and let your children do as they want. Let them eat what they want. Don't discipline your children. That's the spirit of lawlessness. And if you're a lazy parent, you're raising your children under that spirit of lawlessness. One of the maxims I coined a couple years ago when I was watching parents fail, I said, mac and cheese and chicken nuggets is the victor's meal. Because that means the kid got to eat what they wanted to. And you can't grow a healthy kid on chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. Amen. The first satanic principle summarizes lawlessness. Do as you want to. Do as you will. Do as it seems right to you. The danger behind this demonic philosophy is that it teaches mankind to not feel guilty about their sin. You must feel guilty about your sin because if you've committed your sin, you're guilty. If you're guilty, you should feel guilty. If not, your conscience is seared. If not, you're what psychologists call psychotic. A psychotic person is someone who can't feel anything anymore. A psychotic murderer is someone who can kill somebody and feel nothing. We actually have preachers teaching their congregations to not feel bad about their sin. Those are psychotic preachers. They are teaching people to be past feeling. The word psycho in the Greek means to wax cold. That's what King James calls it. There'd be, uh, because lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It's the word psycho, to be beyond feeling. You no longer feel it when you hurt somebody. We discipline our girls when they, when they hurt each other. They sh- we say, shame on you. Go tell your sister you're sorry. We want our girls to have a soft conscience and a tender heart. I don't want my girls to be like American girls. I don't want them to be like Facebook girls. I want my girls to be like Bible girls. Amen. Without guilt, there can be no repentance. I want you to watch this this progression. Watch this process here. Without guilt, there can be no repentance. Without repentance, there can be no pardon for sin. God does not forgive you until you repent. Without pardon for sin, there can be only judgment. This is the process uh, that is also called the doctrine of Balaam. All right, so let's talk about this doctrine of Balaam for a second. Revelation 2.14 introduces us to it. Jesus Christ calls it the doctrine of Balaam. Remember, a doctrine is a system of teaching. Jesus said, Behold, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there at your church at Thyatira them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, what is the doctrine of Balaam? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So the doctrine of Balaam is to teach God's people to sin. The doc- Balaam taught Balak how to set up a stumbling block and to teach God's people to sin. And not just sin, but don't feel bad about it. Numbers 31, 16, going back to the story of Balaam and Balak. Behold, this is Moses speaking. Behold, these women, that's the Midianite women, caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam that's the doctrine of Balaam, to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, that's Baal Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now this, these two verses show us this pattern. If you don't feel guilty for sin, you won't repent. If you don't repent, there's no pardon for sin. If there's no pardon for sin, there's only judgment. This is summarized in that, I've written it here, we'll just read it. Out of fear, the Midian king Balak hired the soothsayer Balaam to curse Israel. This is when Israel is marching in the desert, coming out of Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai into the promised land. 
And the king of Midian gets nervous about how successful Israel is. And instead of trying to be friends, he instantly jumps the gun and wants to wage war against them. And so he hires a soothsayer to try to curse them. Now, I don't know why you wouldn't want to be friends with God's people, why you instantly want to make them your enemy, but that's what Balak wants to do. Balaam endeavored to do so several times, but could not curse Israel. He, he wanted to for money. He's a hireling. And the Bible says he, he erred in seeking wages. He wanted money. Balaam could see that his potential paycheck was slipping away, so he discovered another option. And this is the doctrine of Balaam. This is the spirit of lawlessness. He said, no man can curse Israel, for God is with him. But if you can teach and encourage Israel to sin uh, and to do as they are wont to do anyway, God himself will curse them. And this is exactly what happened. That you study that story there in the book of Numbers. Balak said, curse me, Israel. And Balaam said, I'll see what I can do. So he goes to the high place three times and sacrifices to try to curse Israel. But God says, you can't curse them. I've blessed them. And so he ends up prophesying and blessing Israel. And Balak says, I hired you to curse them. Lo, you've blessed my enemies. All right, all right, all right. Let me try again. Goes to another high place, sacrifices to Jehovah, tries to curse them, ends up prophesying, blessing Israel, does it three times. And Balaam says, I have asked you to curse them. And now behold, you've blessed them these three times now. And I would have made you a very rich man. Why can't you curse them? He says, I can't curse them. God's blessed them. And that's where that part of the story leaves off till we pick up in Numbers 31 and Revelation 2. And you find out that Balaam figured out another way because he wanted the money. I can't curse them through the gifts of the Spirit, but if you can get them to do what they want to do anyway, if you can get them to fornicate, because everybody wants to fornicate, they got it in nature. And if you can get them to worship another God, which they're already on the border anyway, they're not really committed to this Jehovah yet. You know, it was the golden calf a few weeks ago. Go ahead and throw them Baal pure. If you can go ahead and get them to sin and not feel bad about it because the law is just fresh on their heart, hasn't really entrenched yet, God himself will destroy them. That's exactly what happened. That's the spirit of lawlessness. Now, those are the only two laws they disregarded. Don't fornicate. Don't worship any other God. Those, they, they didn't violate the other 611 laws yet. Only two. And that's all it took. And God himself caused the plague to break out. This is the doctrine of Balaam. It's being preached by hyper-grace people today. It's being accepted by the church today. Any church like ours that would dare teach on the law of God and tell you you should keep the laws will be called legalistic and in bondage, though we seem to have a tremendous freedom in the spirit, still have a demonstration of the spirit of God. People still get spirit-filled. We still cast demons out. This is the spirit of lawlessness. The Bible calls it the secret power What's so powerful about it? Everybody wants it anyway. They want to cast off restraint. The doctrine of Balaam was also in the church at Thyatira. A woman in the church, possibly the pastor's wife, because the Hebrew, the Greek says, you permit that woman, Jezebel, um, who calls herself a prophetess. The word woman there is also translated wife. It's, it's a synonymous term. You have to rely on context to know whether it's wife or woman. So there's an implication in some, in some commentaries that say it's possibly the pastor's wife. So it could be translated, you permit that wife, Jezebel, because it's written to the angel of the church of Thyatira. But that's just a side note. She was teaching it to her little private group of followers. She was teaching Christians it was okay to fornicate and dabble in idolatry, which is exactly what Balaam did. Revelation chapter two says, but I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel 
who calls herself a prophetess, isn't that true today in charismatic circles? Every woman who calls herself a prophetess is usually half Jezebel and half demon-possessed. And she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so they commit acts of immorality. The Greek word is pornos or porneo, fornication. And eat things sacrificed to idols. Same two things Balaam did. This woman was in the, in the New Testament church teaching Christians it was okay to sleep around and it was okay to dabble in idolatry eat things sacrificed to idols, which is already in their culture. The doctrine of Balaam teaches people to not feel guilty about their sin. One of the psychology philosophies of the 50s and 60s was, it said basically this, you don't have to teach people to sin. They'll do it anyway. You just have to teach them not to feel bad about it. I I love how the New Testament says over and over again, I speak this to your shame. Because Jesus Christ is not beyond saying shame on you when we're wrong. And when we are wrong and we don't feel ashamed, we should feel ashamed. And I want somebody to shame me. I want somebody to tell me, don't do that. That will kill you. You have to have an injection of reality when something is dangerous. Before I worked at the zinc mine, I I had been a caver or spelunker for 15 years or so. And I never once thought about the danger of unstable ground conditions because nobody taught that to me. So when we get into the zinc mine, all of our cave passages, if you will, are created by dynamite, well, ANFO, ammonium nitrate fuel oil. So the ground conditions are horrific, and it had to be drilled into us over and over again. You must always look up. You must always look up. You must always look up, because a slab could fall out, crush you, and we'd never know. They had to drill that into us. It was, in a sense, saying, shame on you for not looking up. Shame on you for not looking up. It was for our own benefit. It had to be drilled into us because we never thought to look up but it saved our lives. And it was very legalistic. So legalistic, we never had a single injury because laws work to keep you safe. But so much was it drilled into us that when I would go caving after that, I would walk around like this because I had been conditioned to look up. And I'd say, whoa, we need to get the claw in here. We had this big machine called the claw that would pull down unstable rock. But then I realized we couldn't. We had crawled into this hole. You have to have somebody sit in your life and say, shame on you. We don't act that way as Christians. And it's not legalistic. It's love. The lawless crowd says, who are you to judge me? I love you. That's who I am to judge you, to save you. This doctrine will always produce two results. Number one, a seared conscience. You'll never feel bad for anything you do wrong. And number two, it'll produce the judgment of God. And the secret power of lawlessness knows this. And it's such an easy sell because you just tell people, hey, you're free from the law. You're already forgiven. Enjoy what you want. Which is exactly what Balaam taught Belak to do to destroy Israel. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. We have good Christians in this verse who begin to depart the faith by giving heed to seducing spirits, lies and evil doctrines like the doctrine of Balaam. The doctrine of Balaam is a doctrine of devils. And once you begin to give heed to these things, it feeds your flesh and makes your flesh feel good. And that's why people will embrace it. But the end result is always a seared conscience. A seared conscience means you don't feel bad for when you do wrong. You should feel bad for when you do wrong. You know, that's how they train dogs. Bad puppy. If your doctrine is good enough for a dog, should be good enough for you. 
Bad Christian, we don't wee-wee on the carpet. Bad Christian, we don't fornicate. Now, you should just be thankful we don't roll up a newspaper and swat you in the nose. (laughs) I mean, there's not a a dog whisperer out there that won't roll up a newspaper and say, bad doggy. And the doggy never says, why are you judging me? Why are you judging me? (laughs) Revelation 2, 21 says, I gave her. Now, here's the judgment aspect. First part was a seared conscience. This verse is the the judgment. This is the New Testament. This is Jesus Christ talking to a pastor of the church of Thyatira concerning a so-called prophetess in his church. Listen to what Jesus said to the New Testament church. I gave her time to repent. You only get a period of time. And she does not want to repent of her immorality, porneo, fornication. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. Sometimes sickness is judgment. And we've proven that in one of our curriculum we wrote on divine health and healing. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. Unless they repent of her deeds, and I will kill her children with pestilence. Now, the interpretation on that's a little rough because we don't believe that she has children that are going to die because of her sin. That doesn't line up with the New Testament. But when you talk about children, you've got to think of other verses like wisdom is justified of her children, her fruit, her offspring, the things she produces. So it may be the Lord is referencing here using biblical terminology. I will kill all of her ministry. I'll kill all of her influence. Anything she's able to produce, I'll destroy it. There will be nothing left of this woman. But if her children are innocent and not guilty of sin, why would the Lord judge them? That doesn't line up with the rest of the Bible, so that cannot be the exact interpretation. He said, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Notice he doesn't say, I'm going to give you according to the faith. Now, we're word of faith people, but word of faith doctrine has grown a lot of error. And one of the errors of word of faith is to think everything you get, you get according to faith. But Jesus Christ says right here, you get some things based on your deeds. Your works earn things. Now, we believe God for sure. Um, One of my quotes... um, Dr. Barclay uses it. I'm honored he uses it. I said, um, social media is extremely popular because it gives people a voice when they could never earn one from God. And there was one time pastor posted that on his website and somebody commented and said, you don't earn anything from God. You get according to your faith. And I thought, that's exactly what I'm saying. You're an idiot. You're, you're posting on social media and you've not earned it yet. You're not even here what the wisdom is behind this. But the Bible's very clear. I will give you according to your deeds. When you fornicate, you earn something judgment unless you repent this is this is the doctrine of Balaam this is what will always happen if you embrace lawlessness you will have a seared conscience and you will be judged God will give you a space to repent and that's why we preach hard at you that's why the Holy Ghost makes a service miserable on you that's why tribulation is cranked up in your soul so that you'll say Lord forgive me for being this way but there's only a space and then judgment begins to be cranked up on you and it's always for willful, knowing rebellion. The doctrine of Balaam is alive and well today. It has found itself a new voice among some in the hyper-grace movement. The heart of this doctrine is lawlessness. All right, so there it is in the Bible. Let's look at some terms here. Definitions of lawlessness. In the Greek, it's anomia, which means without the law. The condition of being without the law, either due to ignorance, violation, or violation, 
It also means contempt and violation of the law or translated wickedness. So it means you know the law, the laws of God in the Greek, and you just refuse to do it. Nomia or nomos is law. So a nomia, a being the none, um, a, no, a nomos or a nomia, the condition of being without the law. Or a nomos, destitute of Mosaic law, to depart from the law, to be wicked, or violators of the law. And we've already proven how entrenched the law of Moses is in the New Testament. We proved that over and over again for four lessons. Nomos is anything established, that's the word law, a law or rule producing a state or condition approved of by God. Now, if you don't think there are New Testament nomoses or New Testament laws that establish the state of condition that God approves of in the New Testament, then you're just a fool. Because you and I, even the, even the most staunch, lawless Christian realizes you just can't go murder people. You can't just come into a church service and run through here naked. Why not? That violates law. But yet if I try to teach the law, they'll call me legalistic. That is a lawless person. Sometimes there's just, some people just don't have any common sense. They call it the not so common sense. So that brings us to the word antinomianism, which is a term if you get into theology, you'll see over and over again. If you read Christian blogs, you'll see this term being used more and more. Antinomianism, anti against nomianism or nomos against the law. This is the teaching that Christians are free from the moral law of Moses by virtue of grace as set forth in the gospel. Now, we have proven that to be the most lunatic, idiotic sentiment of the modern day. To think we are free from moral laws because we're born again is lunacy. Because the moral law of Moses says, thou shalt not steal. Can you go to Walmart and steal? What will happen to you? You'll be arrested and you'll lose your witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Are you free because of the grace of Jesus Christ through the cross of Calvary to fornicate and commit adultery? No. You will lose your marriage, your children, and your witness. Are you free to have sex with a goat because Jesus Christ was crucified for you? No. You will go to jail for animal cruelty and sexually molesting a beast and you will lose your witness as well you should are you free to prostitute your daughter no are you free to put a stumbling block in front of the blind no are you free to do dirty business and have perverse weights and balances no these are all moral laws so the fact that there are churches and Christians out there that teach you and I are free from moral laws because we're born again indicates either a blatant heresy or just a really ignorant Christian who still just reads the picture Bible. Amen. There is a law to lawlessness, though. Do what you want. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. I wanted to reiterate that verse. Lawlessness is the fruit of the Antichrist spirit. Lawlessness is a selective obedience to the law of God and the laws of, of man. It breeds attitudes that say I will only do what I want to do or rules are made to be broken these are all lawless attitudes you and I hear in our culture rules are made to be broken or I like well I was thinking about this one I don't think I added it bad girls have all the fun no bad girls go to hell good girls don't ever have any fun no good girls get promoted by God what they don't know won't hurt them there's been many a Jezebel say that in her marriage What my husband doesn't know won't hurt him. 
And it's easier to get forgiveness rather than permission. We've all heard that one. That's from the pit of hell. What that says is, I know what I'm about to do is wrong. I know I won't get a positive answer. I'm going to do it anyway and play ignorant. So you're a liar, a conniver, a deceiver, and a lawless freak. And yet I've heard a lot of Christians say that even in ministry, it's easier to get forgiveness doing what I'm going to do anyway rather than get permission to do what I want to do. Which means your will has not learned to be submitted to the answer no. You've got to teach your children that a no is just as good as a yes. Amen. And you've got to be content whether it's a yes or a no. Some people, Christians who don't learn contentment will always make hasty, rash, weird decisions and be miserable. So what did Jesus say? Oh, let me finish here. Lawlessness views, uh, lawlessness views itself as the ultimate authority and truth as whatever you need it to be in the moment. Lawlessness views self as the ultimate and final authority. I might add final authority. And it views truth as whatever you need it to be in the moment, which is the spirit of antichrist and humanism in the earth today. Lawlessness says truth is whatever you need it to be. What's truth to you? What's your faith tradition say to you? I don't have a faith tradition. I serve God Almighty. The fact that you want to label Christianity as one of many faith traditions, it's not a faith tradition. It's the truth, and it's all there is. Everything else will send you to hell. Lawlessness is unilaterally condemned in the Scriptures. So what did Jesus say about lawlessness? Because I want us to see this. Your heart must always be submitted to the rules and regulations around you. You know to do it on your job so you don't get fired. You know to do it in the classroom so you can get the A. Somehow we think these rules don't apply to the kingdom. Matthew 7, 23 says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Very familiar scripture. King James says, Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. Those that practice lawless, God says, I never knew you. And this is at the end of a ministry that cast out devils and did miracles. But those were the only things they apparently wanted to do was the flashy, showy stuff. So on top of uh, working miracles and casting out devils, they did whatever they wanted to do behind the scenes because Jesus indicts them and says, you practice lawlessness. You do whatever you want to, not what I want you to. The great warning of Matthew 7 is levied against those who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness defines our current generation. Jesus will command those who practice lawlessness to depart from his presence. He will not receive them. He will not hold his arm open wide to them in that day. So much for your lovey Jesus. He will look at these folks that did miracles, signs, and wonders. And he'll say, get out of here. I don't even know who you are. All because they did what they wanted to. You and I have got to judge ourselves on a regular basis and make sure we are not living our life according to our whim. We got to make sure we're not skimming over verses that convict us and say, well, that's for somebody else. We got to make sure we're not hearing uh, sermons for our spouse or our children, but that we hear them for ourselves. We don't want to be anywhere close to the group that practices lawlessness. Matthew 13, Jesus says, The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. Notice in his kingdom are people that practice lawlessness. And he will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that scares me. I was even just looking at that verse as I was writing this. I had never seen that in his kingdom today are people that practice lawlessness that the angels will come for one day and destroy. 
But then again, I knew that we had preachers preaching lawlessness, and I knew we had Christians living it, but I just never saw that that's how Jesus sees it. In my kingdom, there are stumbling blocks, and in my kingdom, there is lawless practitioners, and I will send it all to hell unless we repent. The angels will one day gather the lawless for eternal judgment. This verse reveals that there are those within the kingdom who are currently practicing lawlessness, and they will be sent to hell. There's no other interpretation for that. I mean, do you see any other interpretation of that verse? I will gather the lawless and send them to hell. It either means it or we're going to have to do some, I don't know, some scriptural gymnastics to fit something else into it. Matthew 23. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now he said this to the religious sect, the religious groupings. He said, outwardly you look fancy but inwardly you're hypocrites and you're full of lawlessness this lets us know that lawlessness is of the heart it's where it always begins it is within it's impossible uh, it is impossible for law uh, to be lawless if the word of God is written upon the tables of your heart if you if the word of God is really on the tables of your heart it's always going to be speaking to you. you're going to know I can't do that I can't do that I don't want to do that but if the, table, if, the, if the tables of your heart don't have the word of God, it's, if it's just head knowledge, you'll use the head knowledge to find a loophole to do whatever you want to. And again, I, I don't want us to be anywhere near lawless. I don't want us to... I, some Christians almost say, well, I, I just got saved, so I, I'm exempt from doing what I've already been taught to do. Some Christians say, well, I just rededicated, so I know there's a massive grace period, so I'll go ahead and cheat this. That's lawlessness. For those that know to do good, but don't do it, to them it is sin. You can't, you can't con God. You can't trick him. You can't juke him like on the football field. It's not going to work. Matthew 24. Let me read that last sentence. You can have a mind full of the Bible and still be lawless. Matthew 24, 12. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold or turn psycho, as the Greek says. When lawlessness sets upon the heart of a person, their love for people fades away and all they love is themselves. And it's a perverse, weird love. Just spend 10 minutes on social media, you'll see this. The selfie is indicative of this. All these people who are narcissistic and all they do is take pictures of themselves, lawless. They, They don't love anybody but themselves. It's all about them and them and them and them and them some more. I'm so eager to watch social media die out. It's just such a blight on society. Lawlessness kills an individual's ability to love because you're doing what you want and love sacrifices. Love takes no account of a suffered wrong. Love is selfless. Love isn't focused on itself. But when you become lawless, it's all about what you want. And when it's all about what you want, nobody else matters anymore. Biblical love is defined by rules and commands. If you didn't know that, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us so. Lawlessness turns true love into selfishness. When lawlessness defines a man, he will only serve himself. He will burn through friends. He'll become a con man. He'll only use them for his own selfish gain. That's the end of lawlessness. All right, what the epistles say about lawlessness. We've got to burn real quick through this. Romans six nineteen. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, 
So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Of course, Paul's talking about the Romans before they were born again. And every one of us before we were born again, we just did what we wanted to do. Right? And yet we weren't totally without the law because we didn't murder people. We, we still paid our speeding tickets. We still didn't rob or steal. We, we obeyed a lot of rules. We just lived according to how we wanted to. And yet that was called lawlessness. And the Bible called it slavery. But then he goes on to say, but now become a slave to righteousness to produce more righteousness. So Paul equated our pre-Christ life as a life of slavery to impurity and lawlessness. When you start to choose lawlessness, you, you submit yourselves to slavery again. And all lawlessness will do is produce more lawlessness. When you start to live for yourself, you become more selfish. Lawlessness says, do as you want to. Now, the, the people don't like the law because it puts a demand on you regardless of how you feel. And lawlessness is all about feelings. The law of God says forgive whether you feel like it or not. The law of God says tithe whether you feel like it or not. The law of God says pray whether you feel like it or not. The law of God says put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite whether you feel like it or not. Lawlessness says if you don't feel like it, you don't have to do it today. You deserve a break today. McDonald's promoted lawlessness. That's a demon hamburger. We should boycott it. No, no, it's not. But that's the sentiment of America. You've worked so hard at 32 hours this week, eating 9,000 calories a day. You've, you've done so much. You've binge-watched nine shows on Netflix and Hulu. You deserve another break today. Your whole life is defined by a break, which is why your life is broken. But the law of God says obey, and when you start to, I'll give you grace and you'll be able to. That's why it's not a popular message in the church, because it disciplines flesh. The carnal modern church is fleshy, sensual, and devilish and does not like the ordinances of God. The ordinances of God that discipline us and make us something better than we could ever be if we were left to our own devices. This was slavery that only resulted in more lawlessness. Lawlessness is how pagans live. It's not how we live. How many times have we said, I just don't feel like doing that today? It's okay. The Bible didn't ask. The opposite of lawlessness is sanctification. You cannot be lawless and holy at the same time. Christians are either choosing to live sanctified or they're living lawlessly. You have to forgive my typos. We haven't edited any of these yet. There's no middle ground between lawlessness and sanctification. You're either cleaning up or you're getting dirtier. There's no neutral in Christ. 2 Corinthians says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? It equates lawlessness with non-believers, not believers. And it equates lawlessness with darkness, not light. And yet, churches are teaching lawlessness. We have churches and even preachers today that say, you don't ever have to forgive or, or you don't have to repent anymore. You don't have to acknowledge your sin anymore. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. Jesus did away with that once and for all. It's not what we just read in Revelation chapter 2. He said, I gave her time to repent, and she chose not to. Therefore, I'm destroying everything she touches. That's Jesus after the resurrection. Red letters written to a church 100 years after the turn of the century, about 98 AD, 60 years after Christ's ascension. Paul sets righteousness and holiness as the opposite of lawlessness, and he equates it with darkness. 
Now, I'm, I'm going over all these because I want us to see very thoroughly what the Bible says about lawless because we're not going to have any part of this. We're not, now, we could take this too far and become legalistic. I understand that. America is nowhere near legalistic right now. No, you don't have to worry about that. We're plugging holes in laws left and right. Lawmakers have job security till Christ comes back, and people will still find a way to squeeze in between those laws to violate mankind. Come to think of it, Congress should make laws keeping themselves in check. Seeing as how they keep voting for themselves to have pay raises and immunity and impunity and all these terms. God hates lawlessness. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. That's all you need to know right there. You have hated inequity. The word is enomas, lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Notice that when you hate lawlessness and love righteousness, anointing comes and you get happy. We've all lived kind of rebellious lives. We've all lived where we are kind of flirting with sin, and we can all testify how it made us feel yucky and icky. It robbed us of confidence. It robbed us of joy. It robbed us of courage. And yet he said here, because you love righteousness and hate lawlessness, you will be anointed above everybody, above all your brethren, with the oil of gladness. We could say joy. So joy rests upon you when you shun lawlessness and embrace holiness. But if you embrace lawlessness, you can expect happiness, joy, and peace to depart from you. That's part of the judgment. Sin is rebellion against, excuse me, God hates lawlessness and lawlessness will rob you of the anointing of God. First John 3, verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Well, duh. Sin is rebellion against the laws of God. Therefore, sin is lawlessness. This is why we must repent every time we sin. And I should say this, when you sin and you know that you've sinned, there are sins that we don't realize are sins today. We're not accountable for those because we're ignorant. But once the illumination of God's word or his spirit come, we have to then repent for those. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Of what? Of what we just confessed. And cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What's all unrighteousness? Everything we don't know we did wrong. So as long as we stay current with God on the sins we know we've committed, he wipes away everything we don't realize we've done. And, and you have to believe me, Every day we leave this kind of wake of destruction behind us with little things we violated and didn't realize we, we said this rude or we said that or we had an attitude or, or we handled this wrong or we didn't know how we did this or did that. There's all these things we are trespassing in, but we're just oblivious to it right now. As long as we confess and stay current with God on the things we do know we've committed, he just cleans up behind us, which I'm very thankful for. Because if you had to repent of everything you did, you wouldn't know it all. So therefore, you can't confess it. 1 Timothy 1, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. Can a Christian be disobedient? They need some law. For the ungodly, can a Christian be ungodly? You better believe a Christian can be ungodly. And for sinners, we finally get to the pagan there. For unholy, can Christians be unholy and profane? You better believe we can. For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. I wonder if we've ever ministered to Christians that murdered somebody in our prison ministry. I can tell you we have. For manslayers, for whoremongers, Christian ever fornicated and slept around? I can't tell you how many pastors and youth pastors I've seen be arrested in prostitution stings and child prostitution stings. Ministers of the gospel. Uh, a year or two ago in Knoxville, they had a child prostitution sting and got two or three pastors in the sting. 
And I knew one of the churches. I didn't know the, I didn't know the youth pastor, but I knew one of the churches. Can a Christian be a whoremonger? They need the law. For them that defile themselves with mankind, that will be the Greek word arsinokoites or homosexuality. The King James folks, they were so disgusted by homosexuality, they wouldn't even say it. They just say they defile themselves with mankind. For men stealers, for liars, can Christians lie? Can Christians perjure themselves? Yep. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, what is the law for? For Christians who don't know how to live holy yet. How do we teach don't be a murderer except through the Ten Commandments? How do we teach don't fornicate except through the Ten Commandments? How do we teach against adultery but through the Ten Commandments? These two verses say a lot. The law builds sound doctrine and exposes everything that violates sound doctrine. Paul said the law helps establish what is sound doctrine. How did Paul build sound doctrine writing Timothy except from the Old Testament? To me, this is such a simple thing to see and yet it really just shows some Christians are hell-bent on staying carnal and trying to fake spirituality. The lawless are in need of more law. Many modern Christians commit many of these sins listed in these two verses on a regular basis. They need the law of God. We don't need to be lawless. And if you say, who are, who are, who are you to judge me? I am one who possesses the law. And I don't judge you. You stand judged already. I'm just reading your sentence. All I'm doing is reading the Bible. I'm sorry the words of your God disgust you. I'm sorry the words of your Savior condemn you. I'm sorry the words of your Savior offend you. If God offends you, you have no hope. You are damned if your Savior's words offend you. Jesus, in John 6, he offended everybody with the first message on communion. And everybody left but the 12. And he said, are you going to leave too? Are you offended? And they said, uh, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go, church, if God's words offend us? We're going to go to Buddha? We're going to go to the nine billion gods of Hinduism? If God's words offend you, grow up. Right before it talks about lawlessness abounding in Matthew 24, it talks about, and many shall be offended. Offense is an immature emotion. Have you noticed how quickly our society gets so offended and we start a hashtag movement on a whim and that without restraint? Hashtag this, hashtag that, hashtag this movement, hashtag that movement, hashtag bowel movement. It's, it's all lunacy with no self-restraint because everybody gets so offended. And when you get offended, I'm supposed to make a God out of your offense and cater to it. It's pathetic. This society has become morally and emotionally bankrupt. Second Peter, last verse, chapter 2, verse 8. And if God rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. Notice lawless people, their lifestyles def defined as depraved conduct. For the righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. That's a lot in that verse. Lawless people live depraved lives. And that's the secret power of lawlessness. The culture of Sodom was described as depraved and its citizens as lawless. Sounds like the United States of America. This behavior should grieve us just as it did Lot. And so I should ask us, does lawlessness grieve us? Does lawless behavior grieve us? Uh, do, do people fornicating, does that grieve us? Now when Lot stood and said, gentlemen, brethren, 
don't, don't, don't mistreat my neighbors like this. This isn't proper on my, my visitors. They said, who has made you a judge over us? Sounds exactly like social media today. And what they want to do is sodomize the two visitors. Who has made, you are a stranger. Who brought you in here to make you a judge over us? And yet the Bible records the behavior and conduct of Sodom as lawless and disgusting. Lawlessness can be summarized as sinfulness without remorse. Sin will destroy you. Every one of us will sin every day. And uh, we're not past sin yet. So, so I say that before I say this. Because here's the heart of it. I don't want to say it's okay that you sin. Because it's not. But you're going to. Even on your best day that you're just ripping it up for Jesus. But if you're going to sin, be remorseful. Be disgusted with yourself and repent. Have a godly sorrow that produces a repentance not to be repented of. If you can't do that, then you've got to really judge yourself. You may have a seared conscience. If sin does not grieve you, you need to draw closer to Jesus. Let the word of God, the commands of God, the principles, the statutes, the virtues of God convict you. If you don't disgust yourself from time to time, you're not like Paul. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. There's some days you just got to shake your head at yourself and say, woof, God have mercy on me. If you can do that, you're in a good place. I'm not worried about you. Those of you that rise above this and don't have any remorse, I'm worried about you. Because you ought to feel bad when you're stupid. You ought to feel bad when you're hateful. You ought to feel bad when you're a Jezebel. You ought to feel bad when you're a jerk. You ought to feel bad when your flesh flares up and your lust does. You ought to feel bad because you are bad. And then repent and be washed and run with Jesus again. Amen? Lawlessness can be summarized as sinfulness without remorse. May it not be named among us. Amen. Father, we thank you for this lesson this morning. I pray that this message go far and wide and people hear the heart behind it and they shuck and shurn and despise and hate and move away from lawlessness and embrace the commandments and the statutes of their God. We thank you, Lord, for the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law of love. We thank you, Father, for all the ordinances you've given us. May we be lawful people and not people that sit with a seared conscience under the judgment of God. Bless our service today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.